Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. And a very warm welcome back to Solidarity Breakfast. A left response to the major developments in capitalism. What they trade in is not wheat. They trade in famine. A little dose of revolutionary optimism. I think it's really important to sort of express solidarity globally. It really is a deal by corporations for corporations. The union forever defending our rights down with the black If you think the ABC's left wing, don't listen to this program. Solidarity Breakfast, 7.30 to 9am Saturdays, 3CR, 8.55am streaming and 3CR digital, podcast or audio on demand. And of course, the website, solidaritybreakfast.org.au. Solidarity forever! Good morning, everybody. This is Annie for Solidarity Breakfast. And hello, Rebecca. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. Yes, it's a nice day outside. Actually, it's going to be a a rollickingly hot day today. Another Mm. one of these... One out of the hat, except it's not one out of the hat. No. It's become a continuous yep. trauma. It's our normal, uh, yeah, state of affairs. Affairs at the moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. It's been a happening week. We've just finished uh, uh, Invasion Day, Survival Day, Australia Day, um, and uh, we've got reports from there. You were at the major march. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Go on. Yeah, there were a lot of people there. Yeah. I I wasn't there last year, so I can't really compare. But, yeah, my friend was saying she was watching people go past and or looking back and you couldn't tell where it started or ended. Yeah, that's this, right. It's becoming bigger and bigger. Mm. And as I said the uh, last week, there was a SMS uh, for Talk Back With Attitude that pointed it out perfectly. They said that... When people began to meet around this particular issue in 1988, it would have been, Mm. there would have been about 20 people. Mm. Um, So obviously from small things, big things grow. Yep. Yep. Uh, So we've got your report on that. Uh, which is great. And also Tilly's resurfaced and she uh, gave us uh, a piece today with uh, an interview with uh, Lydia Thorpe because uh, a new thing happened this year and that, of course, was the Dawn service. Mm -hmm. Were you at that? No, I wasn't. But uh, I heard Lydia talking at, uh, at the main rally afterwards and, yeah, she was really fired up. So I think it was, yeah. Yeah, a really important and significant uh, event to add to what was what's been happening each year. Yeah, because it emphasises the business of it being a day of mourning. Yes. Yeah, and also just having it in that space at King's Domain is because that's such a place where you know Anzac Day is celebrated and. Well, that even sounds ridiculous saying Anzac Day is celebrated. It should yeah, not be right. like that. But yeah, you and know, it wasn't uh, actually originally when it was uh, mooted. It wasn't a celebration. No, no. Yeah, that was a day of mourning as well. Yes. So the significance of having it in that space where Australian identity is kind of you know uh, celebrated 
most of the the time uh, is also, um, yeah, important. We're going to hear some of those reports. We're going to move on after that, hopefully, and talk about uh, racehorses on Victorian beaches. Um, And uh, then (laughs) we are going to save Hakeem Rally that happened yesterday at uh, Fed Square. Then we'll talk a bit of uh, Labor news. But before we move on, some important messages. Would you like to get involved in the decision-making process at 3CR? Nominations are now open in 3CR's Community Radio Federation elections. You can stand as a subscriber representative and have valuable input into the programming and future direction of this diverse and dynamic radio station. Nominations are due by Friday the 1st of March at 5pm. For more information, contact 3CR Station Manager on 9419 8377 or download the nomination form at the 3CR website 3cr.org.au forward slash people We sail for human rights, indigenous sovereignty and climate justice Our destination is Manus Island Join us for the Freedom Flotilla sailforjustice.org Get on board. A 3CR supporter. Transitions Film Festival returns to Cinema Nova this February with a selection of cutting-edge documentaries about what it means to be human. Featuring local and international documentaries, the festival covers social and technological innovations, big ideas and changemakers leading the way to a better world. Themes include art, activism, climate change, food revolutions, artificial intelligence and the future of our planet. Transitions Film Festival, February the 21st to March the 8th at Cinema Nova. Tickets from transitionsfilmfestival.com. A 3CR supporter. This is Ari Lecker. You're here on 3CR 855 AM Community Radio. Also streaming on 3cr.org.au. Free West Papua, Papua Merdeka gets up one talks. Yes, you're on Solidarity Breakfast with Annie and Rebecca and uh, we might as well get down to business straight off. We'll start off with uh, the Dawn Service. This is uh, Tilly talking to Lydia Thorpe. The Dawn Service came about um, basically to reflect on um, and to acknowledge and honour the legacy of William Cooper and the fact that he called for the 26th of January in 1938 to be a day of mourning for Aboriginal people in this country. So I wanted to go back to that um, you know, that significance of what he and others did from the Aboriginal Progressive Association and honour um, that call out and remind this country that this is a day of mourning and it's a day of deep pain um, for, for many of us that still, um, you know, continue to, to fight against the injustice that we face every day. And I wanted to do it in a way that brought people together to have that understanding and to participate in such a, a um, you know, culturally significant ceremony um, 
and reflect upon the many hundreds of massacres that have occurred across this country. Yeah, of course. So it was to kind of acknowledge the mourning that it occurred. And how do you think that the crowd responded on the day? Oh, it was, you know, look, it was a last-minute um, kind of organisation and I would have been happy with 10 or 20 people in, you know, to, to come along and participate. But we had over 600 people uh, come out at 5.30am and it was it was a beautiful ceremony and it was um, the feedback that I've had from people that have, you know, never done anything like that is that they were deeply honoured to... Um, have the opportunity to you know, participate. To participate and also share the load that we carry with us each and every day. And it was a way that people could connect to... You know, what we were feeling, it was a way that people could partake in something really culturally significant that um, is about healing uh, and about, you know, um, remembering the the first war that um, was, you know, impacted on this country and that is, the you know, our people who fought in the frontier wars. Of course. So we had a number of... First Nations people read out the many massacres that occurred in Victoria alone, and um, and of course, know, there's many that are reported as well. That's right. That's right. So there's about uh, seventy massacres that have been researched and recorded, and and many more to be discovered. Um, so it was, you know, it was quite um, powerful to have. Aboriginal people read out the massacre of their people um, to such a, a large audience, a large gathering. And what's your stance on changing the date? Do you think that that's, like, because that seems to be kind of the forefront of a lot of activism? Look, look, look I think it's a, you know, it, it's a symbolic gesture um, that it's won't really change anything. You know, if we change the date, then we're just moving the problem somewhere else. We need to acknowledge what the 26th of January means for first people of this country to be able to celebrate what this country is about. But until we acknowledge the, the hurt and, and the dispossession and the massacres, um, then we can't really truly celebrate what this nation is about when... Um, you know, we've got people that are mourning and then people that are celebrating. So I no, think dissonance. that um, our focus needs to be on a treaty in this country, yeah, because being you the said, only um, Commonwealth country. Yesterday, yep. you, Neil Mitchell, that a treaty is the only way to... Um, that, like, we can come together as a nation. That's right. I mean, w- what is the culture of this nation? What is the identity of this nation? I haven't had... You know, many people tell me what this what this country's you know um, identity is. I think that this country has an identity crisis right now. In that, you know, we have a day of mourning, we have a rally against the continued injustice against our people, and now people are talking about 
you know, the racism between black and white in this country that still exists today. So I think that um, right now we have an identity crisis and the only way we're going to fix that is to sit down and negotiate a peace treaty amongst every nation in every community and work out a way forward. And how do you, what, how, where do you think Australia's at at the moment in terms of organising a peace treaty? Uh, I think that it's coming up with things like change the date. I think that constitutional recognition is another diversion. The Uluru Statement, another diversion. Uh, I think that, you know, um, I think that it's scared to go down the treaty path and put that first because what that questions is sovereignty and a... And do you think Australians are still not comfortable? Do you think that the Australian Parliament is still not comfortable with talking about sovereignty? Absolutely. Um, You only need to look at the Victorian example to see, you know, one of the things whilst I was in Parliament um, and negotiating the treaty legislation is we need to acknowledge the sovereignty of Aboriginal people in, in Victoria first and foremost. And the whole Parliament in in, um, excluding the three Greens um, rejected the uh, the vote that went to the floor to acknowledge First Peoples' sovereignty in this country as part of the treaty process here. So I think that's a you know that an example of what the Parliament and, and um, the the members within. Um, are frightened of is, is acknowledging first our sovereignty. So it's a question of sovereignty and who has it. And if it's, um, you know, if it's the Crown that, it, that thinks that it has sovereignty over the First People, well, then that's a conversation we have to have and that's a conversation that we can be negotiating in terms of having shared sovereignty and looking at what, you know, having a conversation about what that actually means and looks like to go forward. See, I've been here, born and bred thinking What they proud of when a nation's how would it we coexist? Yeah, I don't think refugees, sunken ships We don't want them in, my parents trying to save the kids Tell me you comprehend how this took a serve for themselves Couldn't care less about anyone else I'm singing love to save us straight Just take a look for what we made here From slave ships to Great Britain's blood on the hand Welcome back to Solidarity Breakfast on 3CR Community Radio. You're with Annie and Rebecca. Uh, we just heard a song by Jim Blair called March. And, uh, yeah, I, as we said earlier, I went to the rally last Saturday and, yeah, I took my little recording device along and with the aim of, yeah, just talking to a few people uh, and one thing that um yeah that i noted is just the diversity of people that are uh, participating in that march in solidarity and so i wanted to speak to yeah just uh some of the people that were there so this is a clip I'm just I'm here to support the Aborigines or the Aboriginal culture or what has happened 
for them. I think it's just unfair. So I don't support the murder. I think we should remember what happened that day and the marches for that. And I'm here for that. I actually learned about this not not too long ago, maybe like six, seven years ago, uh, when I came to Australia and I lived here and I didn't know anything about the Aboriginal history until I met a couple of few friends and uh, they were like, oh, this has happened. And I was like, whoa, how are we so ignorant of, of all these things? And we, why aren't we talking about all these things in, in, you know, in the community, in the society? So slowly, slowly things were like getting, getting better. There's uh, people are getting much larger in numbers and, and uh, I think it's a good thing. Yeah, I think they're beginning to realize their, their history and what has happened. It's mostly with the young people. I see a lot of young people who, who are at the forefront of this movement. And uh, yeah, like all of my university friends, um, uh, they're very, uh, they are very involved in these kinds of things. But uh, if I talk to like uh, my parents, for example, they don't have much ideas about this. So I try to fill in as much as I can. But, um, so what are they doing today? Uh, I, I told them where am I going and what am I doing. Like they were, they turned the TV on, then they were watching the Australia Day parade thing happening, yeah. and then I was like, oh, I'm going. Uh, to oppose this uh, <laughs> yeah. and this is why I'm going and this is why I'm doing it and they're like oh okay this they were they they also were not aware of what has happened like in the history so I feel like a lot of a lot of people just don't know about them or, or just don't want to know about them but yeah. once you know about it like it's it's uh, quite sickening yeah. to you know yeah so next year they'll be out here too? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll be here. I'll, I'll, I'll be here with them. Yeah, of course, I'll be here with them. I'm showing my solidarity to um, indigenous Australian here in Nam, Melbourne. Because um, I know what they've been through on the colonization is pretty bad for the people. Their killings, their massacres everywhere and Especially me, West Papuan, the same scenario happens as well. Our people, uh, especially in Duga, lately been, you know, living under oppressions and bombing and massacres everywhere. So why not? We stand with our brother, sister here, indigenous um, owners of the land in here in Nam or all over Australia. And then to change the day, definitely. Because today is not Australia Day, today is the day of invasions. How, how come you celebrate the killings of people? So that's terribly wrong. So that's why we're here showing our support and solidarity. That's it. Science says that we cannot change history, but we can change the future. Okay. We should embrace indigenous people, the traditional owner of this land, as part of our nation and enjoy whatever we are very fortunate to have.
and we should not exclude them in either in a conscious way or unconscious way because after all they were here before all of us including me and I'm the new arrival of this country so I would like to say they should be part of our nation in fact they should be part of our seniors we have a lot to learn from them okay the, yeah, well. it, it's a direct translation of the English. Yeah. It means that we should respect the indigenous sovereignty yes. and their dignity mm. and their respect and their culture okay. and their language. Everything. some popular sentiment against the idea of celebrating yes, uh, genocide. genocide but um, but is there a commitment to concretely change the conditions mm. uh, and give sovereignty to Aboriginal people mm. it's supposed to be a fundamental you know basis of human rights is, or or you know, the right to self-determination. So all people who are struggling for, well, self-determination, which like we all should be, should be uh, supporting the call for Aboriginal self-determination. My like rising in the that's probably the biggest crowd I've seen. Yeah. I tried to take photos at the end of the line. I couldn't couldn't see the end. Yeah. <laughs> it's good. It's, it's, it's everyone. Yeah. yeah. Does that mean to bring your daughter to something like this? She needs to know. to know what happens keeps happening to Aboriginal people kids her own age I don't want her growing up in a country like this um, I want her to be in solidarity with Aboriginal people um, she's She gets it. Kids get it. Yeah. They understand you shouldn't hurt people. Yeah. Yep. It's not hard to explain to her. <laughs> yeah, we had a conversation about genocide. It was pretty intense. Um, she wanted to know why all of the people's faces were on signs that had been killed. Um, I don't know, I think it's straightforward for kids <laughs> that have difficulty understanding yeah. um, why it's so wrong, yeah. why it has to stop. And I also want her to learn from Aboriginal elders. I want her to listen to what 
they have to say and what we can what what is needed. My dad wrote this song twenty five years ago. Treaty. And still we are waiting for our treaty. Where is our treaty? We want our treaty now. Yeah, so we were just listening to a song uh, by Porobibi, which is, uh, he's also uh, one of the presenters on Voice of West Papua, and that song was um, dedicated to the people of Ndulga and, yeah, what's going on there at the moment. And uh, on Solidarity Breakfast this morning, we've got Shane Howard on the line. G'day, Shane. How are you? G'day, Eddie. How are you? Good. And uh, we're talking about the fight against uh, racehorse training on uh, Western District beaches and a protest campers uh, of local Indigenous and surfers on Levy's Point near Warrnambool. Can you give us some background about what's going on down there? Uh, well, look, it all started about three years ago when... Uh, um, yeah, they, we used to have a small group of little local trainers who had a couple of horses. Yeah. There weren't too many. Um, in 2015, Darren Weir Racing turned up and the whole thing escalated to an industrial-scale commercial operation. Um, and all of a sudden we found that um, our beach is really under invasion, up to 100 horses a day, training you know, up and down the beaches, turning it into a ploughed paddock. Uh, we objected as a community and um, you know, uh, Prince of Penzance that won the Melbourne Cup and then down we proclaimed the benefit of the magic sands uh, and trading up and down the dunes, which is actually illegal at the time. Um, That's and- just outrageous too, considering the uh, uh, how um, 
the dunes are, are just so delicate and the environmental... Ecosystem. Yeah, they're so... Uh, they are. They're very vulnerable. And a study in West Australia in 2014 found that one of the worst things you can do to a dune system is, is put horses through it environmentally. It's also full of uh, cultural scatters from uh, historically and... Um, so you know the local Aboriginal. So, so, so you mean you mean all the min, middens and things like that that they've discovered down there are also threatened? Well, they're more. I wouldn't go so far as to say they're middens, but but look, that whole dune system all the way between Warrnambool and Port Ferry is rich with Aboriginal history. That's the largest midden in the southern half of the country. The, there's ephemeral dreaming sites, uh, very important uh, stories there, particularly for women. There are. Um, um, you know, occupation sites, middens all the way along. There are burial sites and there are cultural scatters throughout the reserve and at Levy's Beach. That is certainly true in the, in the dunes there, what they call, ironically, Hoon Hill. And um, so the the community, we've been fighting this for three years now, Annie, and um, no matter no matter what common sense we come to, in terms, in terms of with the government, local government, two local governments, Mornshire Council, Warrnambool City Council, you know, four state ministers now, the Department of Environment, Land, Water and Planning, no matter what rational proposal we have put to them, and ask for alternatives like purpose-built uphill sand track facilities for the trainers, um, it all falls on deaf ears, and we've been completely and utterly fobbed off. Sixty percent of people, 70% of respondents, you know, in the community do not want the horses training on the beaches or in the dunes. And we're not listened to. We haven't been for three years. So the community have gone, the uh, local Aboriginal community have gone into the dunes with the blessing of Uncle Rob Lowe and the elders to, um, and they've established a resistance camp or a protector's camp, protectors of country, and they intend to sit there to protect that country right where the top of the hill where the horses want to train and um, and yesterday Andy Medic from the Animal Justice Party came down and met with the community, the traditional owners and they gave him a message stick, Uncle Rob Lowe and, uh, and a letter to take back to Daniel Andrews they invited him to come and sit down on country and to listen to the traditional owner's story first hand because as they said, they do not trust anymore that uh, they have have lost faith in the ministers, in his ministers, and in the local council and in DELP, and they believe that um, they want him to come and sit down and show leadership on this matter. Um, it's, it's, you know, it's really become outrageous. And in light of the developments of the last week, um, oh no, you're talking about, this is the same Danny Weir that's just uh, got his uh, mug on the front of uh, the Sun-Herald this morning. Well, it brings into question all sorts of things. Um, you know, I mean, when Darren Weir won the Melbourne Cup, he talked about, uh, he proclaimed the benefits of training the horses up the dunes. And um, that was actually unlawful at the time, but... Now you have to question whether that was a smokescreen for something more sinister. And look, 
yeah, you're innocent until proven guilty. But, um, it, you know, our beaches, our, our coastal reserve, this is public land being sacrificed. Um, Aboriginal cultural heritage, you know, threat, um, you know, threatened bird species, migratory and resident shore species, um, you know, all being sacrificed for the sake of running horses up sand dunes. It, it it makes no sense whatsoever when it can be done off the beaches. Yeah, it's um, the gl- it's the glamour of the moment, and it's the economics. The business about you know making reparations, treaty recognition of uh, uh, Aboriginality and uh, land ownership is all very well if it's just words. But this is a uh, a point of real contention, isn't it? This is where people can actually show that uh, this country is actually moving ahead when un- understanding the importance of country. Well, the Andrews government proclaimed when they won the election that they were the most progressive, progressive state government in the country and they've been talking seriously about treaty business. And this is a great chance to demonstrate to the Gunditjmara people, the Kirrawong people, to the local community here, the Eastern Ma, uh, and to demonstrate to the rest of the state that they are serious in that intention, that it's not just words, like you said, Annie. And follow this with, with action. Protect this country. Um, change the cultural heritage laws. Change the environmental laws. Give them the strength and the teeth that they need. Because it's all too weak. Aboriginal people do not have a say over the protection of their own cultural heritage and artefacts. Um, you know, we have to get this right. It's the 21st century. You know, Solid Rock was 1982. Yeah, that's 37 years ago. Um, you know, that's just me as a white fellow. Aboriginal people have been waiting for 200 years. We have to get on with this, and we have to get this sorted. It's not appropriate anymore, hey, Annie, to go trampling over country, doing whatever you like, you know, like we're the, like the the col- the colony goes on. The colonists just continue on for another hundred, two hundred years. Um, we have to be serious about this. We have to get this stuff right. We have to treat Aboriginal culture with the respect it deserves, and we have to treat people with the respect they deserve. You know, no more second class citizens. And um, it's time for it's time for change. You know, we we've waited a long time, and um, all we get is words, you know, and all the Aboriginal community get is words. And the environment and cultural heritage can't wait any longer. Our world is our world is in crisis, and we have to act. And you know, and that's why I think the community are calling on Daniel Andrews to respond to um, to their rights and to assert them, and uh, and to meet with the community on the ground, very simple, very gently. And all we're saying is our community. Uh, of other Australians is that uh, we want the environment protected here. We want it taken seriously. It's been protected, you know, um, ostensibly since white fellows came here. Um, and lots of volunteer hours go into protecting this country. Look after it. You know, it's a little jewel in the crown. And the last wild, you know, recovering strip of vegetation that we have in this Western District. It's interesting, isn't it? Because, uh, uh, 
Uh, we've seen it. I mean, I, I was brought up down there and uh, we've seen changes to that environment where it's, uh, I mean, my my people came, lived in the bush up on this side before they went down to Warrnambool and it was traumatic going down to Warrnambool because there were no trees. It was that whole mm. period of time when, you know, uh, nature was the enemy uh, and yeah. things have changed. Things have changed. People know that that's not the case. And the idea that uh, you can come up with other solutions for the needs of the race uh, racing industry, because, I mean, it's an important industry, uh, not just emotionally, uh, uh, economically, but emotionally down that way. But... Um, when you come up with plans and they don't even take into account the environmental cost, that's where you know that uh, it's just words, don't you? No, there was no environmental impact assessment study done. Um, it's, this is cowboy stuff. And, um, you know, everyone goes on about you know, the economic benefits of racing. They're not that substantial. This is a place where there's over a billion dollars comes into this community from tourism. You know, um, these beaches, people don't come here to see horses run. They do in the May Racing Carnival, and that's important. I'm not trying to take away the significance of that to the region. But it's not the big driver. The big driver is tourism. Our beautiful beaches, people come here for the pristine beaches, for the family reasons, for the safety. You know, like, you can't relax. You can't be safe on a beach when you've got a five or 600-kilogram horse on that beach with your children, and that's been proven time and time again. And like you said, Annie, you know, we have to look after this country. It's been so... Look at Google Google the Western District. You know, you're hard-pressed to find a tree. Yeah. Um, and, 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 you know, this community has to do better down here. Um, they can't treat the country like it's just some wasteland to be exploited. It, it has to be cared for. And, and people have to change. People have to change their minds and their points of view. And what's the next step? So the, they're not going to go away, the camp, they're going to stay? And they want no, people to support them? They want support, they're calling for support, and um, it's, um, it's a very, uh, very, people down here, very, it's very old school, very um, Western district, it's <laughs> very, um, it's highly mannered, so this is not, you know, this is not a, um, Uncle Rob, they don't call themselves uh, protesters, they call themselves protectors. Of country, right and um, so they're sitting down and waiting for the premier to come and meet with them, and uh, and they're, they're calling, I guess, for the support of uh, of people to uh, to help them in their struggle. Um, because you know, this there's so many issues wrapped up in this one issue, this one uh, matter, Annie. Um, issues of environment, issues of climate change, issues of cultural heritage, issues of treaty, of uh, respect for Aboriginal rights and giving Aboriginal people the rights they've been denied for so long. Um, and um, good governance, due process, transparency, uh, honourable behaviour. Um, and you know, what we've witnessed so far is none of that and lots of greedy people just grabbing and taking what they want. Thanks for talking to us today. Thanks, Annie.
You're on Solidarity Breakfast with Annie and Rebecca, and I was just saying to Rebecca that that song never dates. It's no. quite a long time ago that it was a major hit, but it never dates. It's We've still got a lot of work to do. And we were just talking to Shane Howard uh, about uh, the idea of using the beaches around Warrnambool for uh, race racehorses to train on. Forget about the environment, forget about families, forget about... Everything. Cultural spaces. Yeah, just mm. extraordinary. It just makes my blood boil. Anyway, we'll keep you updated on what's going on there. And if you uh, know about that area, you can go to Levy's Point and show your uh, respects to the protectors and uh, also perhaps talk in your communities about encouraging Daniel Andrews to actually go and party. Uh, coming up next is uh, a report on uh, what happened down at Federation Square yesterday. There was, uh, you might it might have registered because there was actually a lot of coverage from the mainstream media were there. Um, hashtag Save Hakim. Uh, the uh, story is, of course, that Hakim Al Arabi is an ex-national soccer team player for the Bahraini uh, uh, Bahrainis, and uh, he, like other members of that team, stood up uh, fighting for freedoms within the country, and he was gathered up and tortured, and he has been accused of vandalising a police station. Interestingly enough, he was actually, at the time when the vandalism was supposed to have happened, apparently was playing a, a, a soccer game, and which was te- televised. So, in actual fact, it's not only are there holes in um, the charges, but uh, there's a whole lot of other fairly ordinary things about it. Uh, he was uh, he and his wife, young wife, uh, you know, newly married, had actually asked if they could safely go and uh, have their honeymoon in Thailand. They were assured by the Australian Federal Police that they could, but um, then he was arrested and uh, and uh, the Thais have some extradition order to send him back to Bahrain. Um, and he's been in uh, a Thai prison for about 66 days. Uh, and th- and he has got refugee status in Australia. So there's an awful lot of stuff going on here. Um, I've got uh, some of the speeches that were given at the day. We've got um, uh, Sue Bolton, and uh, from uh, who is... Uh, Socialist Alliance, also a councillor at Moreland, uh, she spoke, and also Mitch Broth from the uh, Refugee Action Collective, who had were one of the first groups of people who uh, stood up for Hakim, and also Fatima Yazbek, who uh, finishes off uh, the piece. So let's hear a little bit about Save Hakim. Hakim has become a pawn. A pawn for the Bahraini monarchy, which is repressing human rights in Bahrain severely and has for decades and decades. He's also a pawn for governments that only pay lip service to the UN Human Rights Convention. And I would include both the Australian and Thai governments in that. And he's also a pawn for money, power and politics in sport with uh, votes being traded to head um, international sporting organisations. But while Hakim's 
situation is dire with Bahrain finally submitting the formal extradition papers in court, I'm also hopeful. I'm hopeful because of the impact of the incredible international campaign. The international campaign by the international Bahraini community, including the community here, the human rights organisations and the football community, in particular the Pasco Vale Football Club, the Professional Footballers Association and the incredible efforts by former Socceroos captain Craig Foster have had an impact. This campaign has forced the Australian government to take up Hakim's case. They did not take up Hakim's case in the beginning. As well as the Australian government notifying the Thai authorities of the international arrest warrant and Hakim's travel movements, the Australian authorities never told the Thai authorities in the beginning that he was a refugee. The Australian government said that he was a permanent resident and so therefore they had no interest in issuing him with protection. They, had no, they said because he wasn't a citizen, he wasn't eligible for Australian protection. This is despite the fact that the Australian government granted him refugee status in 2017. This is the impact of an international campaign, a solid international campaign. It's quite possible that if the Australian government had acted differently, uh, that is, the AFP not notifying the Thai authorities, um, the Australian government immediately taking up his case on the basis that he is a refugee under their protection, it's highly likely that Hakim would not be sitting in prison right now. So this is shocking. Hakim even contacted the Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade to see if it was safe for him to travel with his wife to Thailand on their honeymoon and he was told that it was safe. So Australia is culpable as well as um, the Thai authorities and the Bahraini uh, royal family. Eventually Interpol lifted the arrest notice. Hakim should have been released immediately because he was subject, you know, this arrest notice was illegal, illegally issued. I think the fact that this campaign has forced movement and also forced the international sporting bodies to take up Hakim's case has been really important because while some sporting bodies took up Hakim's case really solidly from the very beginning, FIFA and the Asian Federation Cup and also Federation Confederation and also the um, FFA in Australia were, you know, they might have issued statements but they did not take up Hakim's case in a solid way. Now there has been movement by, on some of those bodies. So that is a really uh, massive effort by the Professional Football Players Association and Craig Foster and, and Hakim's Football Club. The Moreland Council did contact the Thai authorities in December and the first available council meeting I will be raising a motion in support of Hakim. There hasn't been a council meeting since Hakim um, was detained. 
But we also have to keep the pressure up on the Thai authorities and on Bahrain to say that there will be penalties if Hakim is deported to Thailand in the same way that there was an international sporting boycott against South Africa, which did assist in lifting the vile apartheid regime in South Africa. Bahrain and Thailand need to be subject to such pressure if they deport Hakim to, to Bahrain. They need to know that that is a very real possibility. But we also have to make sure that once we get Hakim home, which I'm confident we can if we keep up the pressure, that we have to make sure that this does not happen to any other refugee. And we know that Australia has been involved in deporting thousands of refugees to danger, to face torture and detention in Sri Lanka in particular. So we need to keep this up to make sure that this does not happen to any other refugees. So save Hakeem! Save Hakeem! And never again! Never again! Thank you, Sue, for your speech. And now it's um, we have Mitch from the Refugee Action Collective. So I remember a couple of months ago now in early December when Refugee Action Collective first heard about uh, Hakim's case, we organised a uh, small protest outside the offices of the Australian Federal Police pointing out their uh, complicity in um, the injustice that Hakim uh, is now facing and at that demonstration we had members of the Bahraini community and we had members from uh, activist groups, the Victorian socialists and so on but um, never did I think that it would grow to the proportions that it's grown to today with the Australian trade union movement uh, backing Hakeem's case, um, speakers like Michelle O'Neill and so on pointing out uh, how um, this is such a miscarriage of justice that all decent people uh, in this country need to stand with Hakeem. And it shows in the strength of this movement that we've forced someone like Scott Morrison, who has that statue in his office, a monument to uh, the torture of refugees, uh, to intervene positively on Hakeem's case. Uh, he you know, wrote a letter to um, the Thai Prime Minister um, urging uh, justice for Hakeem uh, and so on. And that's not a testament to Scott Morrison, that's a testament uh, to us, that's a testament to ordinary people standing up uh, for justice and civil society organisations like the trade union movement, uh, like the Gulf Institute for Democracy and Human Rights uh, and so on. But in order to achieve a positive outcome, we need to continue to strengthen the campaign to free Hakim. In particular, uh, we need to see FIFA agree to sanction the Bahraini and Thai uh, teams if there is no positive settlement that brings Hakim home to Australia. These, co these countries need to face international embarrassment for these acts of the greatest injustice which they're committing um, onto Hakim uh, at this moment. Not just because it's right for FIFA to do something like that, but because the placement of these sanctions um, would escalate the pressure on these governments uh, that we are beginning to mount uh, today. We've seen players associations uh, and individual teams uh, show their support for Hakeem and organise uh, this campaign. There's even a, saw a photo of a Thai football team uh, standing with banners and placards and so on uh, supporting Hakeem, even in a country where criticising uh, your government is punishable with um, 
with great, uh, great consequences. So um, we need to see FIFA match the efforts of ordinary people who are standing up for Hakim, uh, place sanctions on the teams if there's no positive outcome, um, and exercise this muscle to positively resolve uh, this case. We also needed to see the Australian government uh, take whatever measures are possible uh, to resolve the issue, which, um, as people have pointed out, their own agencies have actually contributed to, actually complicit in the injustice facing Hakim and his false imprisonment by the Thai um, regime. All decent people in this country need to stand up, tell the government to exercise its muscle, intervene positively on behalf of Hakim and bring him home to Australia uh, where he belongs, uh, living with his wife um, and uh, hopefully is mentioned in media uh, as family. So um, we, should, we should definitely face the facts of the matter that the Australian Federal Police are complicit uh, in the injustice, and um, I, I think that the institutions of the state, the media and civil society uh, need to discipline this organisation uh, as much as they can, and the individuals too who are responsible for the treatment of Hakim. In, in Bahrain, uh, Hakim bravely fought for the rights of oppressed people, for human rights and democracy uh, against state institutions which had no concern uh, for people living under them, and correspondingly today I think we need to commit to continue the fight to free Hakim against the same institutions which are imprisoning him now um, and to bring those institutions to justice. Middle East, hundreds of prisoners of conscience are behind bars and with the blatant human rights violations committed. There are Saudi activists who, activists who are sentenced to death because of their activism. There are, there are dozens of uh, activists behind bars in the, in the United Arab Emirates for, for, express, for expressing their opinion and criticizing their government publicly. In Bahrain, a few days ago, political detainees were sentenced to death because of their activism. Nabil Rajab, who is a prominent Bahraini human rights activist, was sentenced for five years in, in prison for only tweeting about the war in Yemen. Sheikh Ali Salman, who is known for his peaceful calls for, uh, for criticizing, for, uh, for calling for democracy peacefully, was sentenced to life in prison because of, her, of his activism. The Bahraini government is trying to fabricate charges against these activists just to promote, her, to promote itself as a democratic government in front of the international community. Hakim is one of, the, of those victims. Hakim criticized the Bahraini royal family publicly in 2016. He exposed the blatant human rights violations committed against athletes and the involvement of the Sheikh Salman al-Khalifa in, in targeting those athletes. So that's why Hakim is now behind bars since 66 days for doing nothing, for expressing his point of view, as I'm doing right now. So we, we would like to thank the Australian government for, for the efforts that they are doing, especially the uh, Foreign Minister Marie Spain and Scott Morrison. But we also know that they can do much more. They can put more pressure on the Thai government to release Hakim. The Thais should know that this is a critical case for us, for all of us. We want Hakim back between us. We want him to resume his life. We want him to build his future as he was doing before going to Thailand. To the Thai authorities, we want to say that we, you can resolve this matter by one word. This extradition order, which was submitted by Bahrain a few days ago, is out of order. Hakim is a refugee. He shouldn't be he shouldn't be arrested on a, on a Interpol red notice because he is a refugee. He is a recognized refugee in Australia and 
the arrest warrant against him is on pol political basis. That's why Australia granted him the refugee status. So the government of Bahrain will say, you are not allowed to commit more human rights violations while all of us are just watching. We will speak out. We will defend all those prisoners of conscience in your in your prisons and in the Saudi prisons and in all the in all in the prisons in the prisons of all the world. We will defend all the human rights activists who are punished because of their activism, and we will call for the freedom of all the human of all the prisoners of conscience. Thank you all today for coming. Thank you for supporting Hakim. I want also to thank Jim from Footscray for the massive banner he did. He did a 30 meter banner for to save Hakim. He is uh, gathering messages of hope on his banner. Thank you very much. Thank you for Amnesty. Thank you for Andrew Giles. Thank you for the Australian Council of Trade Unions. Thank you, Sue, and thank you for all the activists who saved Hakim. Please tweet your photos today under the hashtag Human Rights Asian Cup. The ties should hear our voice. They should know that this is a critical issue and they should feel the pressure. Thank you very much. You're listening to 3CR, 855am, the voice of the community. You're all right. You're listening to Solidarity Breakfast with Annie and Rebecca. And uh, we were just listening to some voices uh, around Save Hakim. Uh, and uh, as you were saying, Rebecca, we were wondering what uh, what's in it for Thailand. What's in it for yeah. Thailand? Follow the money. That's what we say. Um, g'day, Don. How are you? I'm very well, Annie. Thank you very much. Yes, we're talking to Don Sutherland and we're going to talk a bit about, about uh, Labor Labor stuff, and uh, you you have wanted to remind everybody about Change the Rules Day, T-shirt day. Yes, it is. Uh, today is the uh, Change the Rules National T-shirt day, and we are seeing lots of evidence of um, very vibrant local campaigning all over the country. Uh, uh, I can't say that uh, from where I live that it's such a big organisation, but a group of us a meeting at the uh, wharf at Manly, and uh, we'll all be wearing our T-shirts. I'll be wearing mine for the whole day. I have my white Change the Rules T-shirt on at the moment, and I'll be moving to the to a different colour, probably the black one, to go down to Manly and hand out uh, leaflets and talk to people about why we need to change the rules about life at work. Oh, that's good. You'll be able to give us a report about uh, general responses. Yeah, personal experience. Well, we've, uh, we're have we a fairly small group here on the northern beaches of Sydney. As uh, we can appreciate. My direct experience, yes, it is um, Liberal Party heartland. Um, the Although all of the mini economies that operate up and down the northern beaches are entirely dependent upon wage earners, many of them in part-time and casualised work, and many of them, many of those workers, I would lay odds, are paid beneath the statutory minimum wage mm. in the cafes and retail shops and so on. Uh, and so it's a, although it's a, uh, uh, a, there are pockets of the northern beaches that are, um, are impoverished and there are others that, of course, are filthy rich and they make up the minority, but they provide the dominant view of what uh, the northern beaches suburbs are like. I must Even say that... Uh, you're completely correct about stereotyping and uh, all that sort of stuff. People should be very careful of it. I remember years ago before when uh, John Howard was in, I went up there to do a demonstration. We, we were doing demonstrations uh, outside 
Kirribilli House, and oh, yeah. uh, and it was around uh, after CVEX and uh, the rest of it, and we were walking down there, and he was so on the nose that there were people in there uh, as we were walking down that road that takes you down to Kir- Kirribilli House, very tall uh, flats uh, yeah. on either side, and there were people on balconies uh, um, cheering people on. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, uh, my direct experience in both the DY shopping centre and Avalon Beach, uh, it was really terrific when I was handing out to uh, change, uh, change the rules ca- campaign leaflets before Christmas. And um, so the group will be down there today, along with uh, lots of campaign groups, some of them much bigger, a lot of them much bigger than ours, all over the country today. And I hope that... Uh, uh, some of your listeners who are not switched on, find your Change the Rules T-shirt. And if you don't yet have one, get out your union T-shirt and wear it for the day. And if possible, try and find the local action that's going on to, in effect, launch the campaign in 2019. It's interesting, isn't it? Because it can be quite a powerful message, just a giving personal endorsement by wearing a T-shirt. Yes, and it's a very easy thing to do. Uh, I, I had an interesting discussion with a group of um, uh, shop stewards from my own union, the Australian Manufacturing Workers' Union, and all of them were very critical of, well, you know, how pathetic wearing a T-shirt is because, well, they're all, all in organised workshops uh, where the members are ready to take much tougher action to put pressure uh, on uh, to, uh, to um, uh, lift the level of the campaign. Uh, but uh, in the end, we all agree that probably for the majority of workers, this is a good way of starting 2019. So you're really pointing out something very important, that this is a broader issue of influencing people's minds and uh, moving a, a slow movement from people sitting down to standing up. Yes, and I think, well, I think there's two aspects to it. Firstly, um, it is both a broad movement, but... It, there are some things in the list of demands that are more important for workers than others. And there are some of the demands that put power into the hands of workers, whether they are members of unions or not, but especially more so if they are members of unions. And there are other demands which put, put more power in the hands of institutions like the Fair Work Ombudsman and the, the Fair Work Commission. And as you've heard me talk about before, our priority ought to be those changes to the rules that put power into the hands of workers. And this will change things in many different ways if we take that more seriously, perhaps, than we are at the moment. So what are they? uh, Well, I think the most important, the, the two most important sort of go together, and they are... Uh, the uh, the change that enables a uh, a, a normal uh, right to take industrial action to take strike action extended to all sorts of situations including uh, grievances on the job uh, because that's how workers who are not members of unions they have the right to take industrial action on the job to pursue a grievance that's how they learn to become unionists and that's how union members who do the same thing, that's how they learn to be stronger unionists. And also you'd say it was it was bordering on nat- natural justice, really? Well, it, it, it isn't in Australia. In fact, there is a system of penalties uh, that go back 
um, well, it goes back almost to the start of white occupation, actually, a system of penalties that restrict and uh, deny workers uh, a, the right to uh, withdraw their labour. So employers have an unfettered right to withdraw their capital, but there are very strict penalties imposed on workers if they step out the narrow bounds of withdrawing their labour. We've talked about that a lot before, and we should continue to talk about it because uh, everybody needs to talk about this on a regular basis to build our understanding about you know, what is really most important from the point of view of workers. The second big thing, uh, which is sort of associated with industrial action, is the extent to which collective bargaining goes on a bigger scale than enterprise bargaining. And this is into multi-employer, award-based bargaining, and including in regard to annual wage reviews. And uh, annual wage reviews are the only mechanism that Australia's lowest paid workers who, uh, who have very little power, it's the only mechanism available under the stunted rules that we have to uh, live and work under at the moment to be able to increase uh, their wages. Which is kind and, of interesting to me because, and we'll get on to that, uh, because I don't know if people know this, but uh, in the past, if they were going to increase the uh, cost of public transport, for example, in Victoria, I don't know about other states, there used to have to be a, uh, an investigation. Every year now for the last decade, you just get a message saying at the beginning of the year that the cost of every trip has gone up. But, and, you know, there's no ripple. It just happens. Now, uh, if it's, it's like the national wages case, for people to get an increase in their, their low pay, you have to fight tooth and nail, but not for the public transport uh, increases in, in uh, prices. It, I mean, I, th- I find those two things really quite stark uh, examples well, yeah. of what's going on. Um, Twelve months ago, when there was a lot more activity on the annual wage review, the increase in the national minimum wage, the estimate was that there were 2.3 million workers who were dependent upon what the Australian Council of Trade Unions would achieve with their claim or their proposal into the Fair Work Commission about what the increase should be. So that's 2.3 million workers. Some of them, of course, are already members of unions, but it means that low paid, that the ACTU claim, in effect, is a claim for all workers, whether they are union members or not. And this is a very important principle, a justified principle, uh, that ensures that a minimal safety net is annually reviewed. That's very important. But at the moment... Uh, under the current rules, uh, there is no real industrial power that workers who are in that situation, in that group of 2.3 million, or those above that who are on higher wages, are able to express solidarity to be able to lift the wages of the lowest paid. Now, the, the interesting thing, of course, this year, and it's somewhat startling, and uh, is that there has been no... Uh, no message at all from either the Australian Council of Trade Unions or any of its member unions about what the claim for this year should be. And I find that remarkable. Uh, Whereas a year ago, plus 
and minus two or three months before then, there was vigorous publicity coming from the union movement, uh, notably led by Sally McManus at the time, uh, outlining to the public the need for an increase in the national minimum wage so that it would become what they were calling a living wage. So do you think this is because it was a part of a, a promotional strategy to raise people's awareness of inequality? Hmm? I think that's correct. And for reasons, for reasons I do not understand, um, but which questions need to be asked within each union, there is no sign of that at the present time. In the, uh, I, I think I can see uh, and have followed four major media statements from the ACTU itself about wages since mid-December. Not one of them mentioned the annual wage review or the national minimum wage claim. So when, I, it, when I, is that supposed to happen? When does well, that happen? The time ta- the timetable was announced back in November, uh, November or early December. I apologise for not yeah, yeah, yeah. precisely. Uh, the deadline for proposals is roughly the same time as last year. It's March the fifteenth. Oh, it's very so soon. So written submissions must be in. That is to the Fair Work Commission by March the fifteenth, and then there is a timetable of dates that is set around the April 2nd date, which is the release of the federal budget from the current government. So despite despite this not being uh, a major uh, promotional activity, because they're leading to what they believe is going to be an April election, I believe, um, a federal election, and so they're probably amassing their energies towards that, there will be some people within the ACTUs whose job it is to actually deal with this, you'd expect? Well, well there, there are two points there, or three points there. Firstly, um, all the, I haven't heard about an April election. All I hear about is, is, is one in May. Oh, right. Okay. I just, I, maybe yeah. I'm just, uh, I, I'd heard April, personally. Yeah, yeah anyway. It, well, it, well, let's see. We'll put a book, we'll yeah, do and, a, a book on it, eh? Yeah, yes. And secondly, it is true that in the ACT, normally, uh, uh, I think there's an economics. Well, I know there's an economics officer and perhaps one or two other people who are expert in that area, whose job it is to prepare, to do the research and prepare uh, the ideas for internal discussion about what the claim might be. Now, in all of the statements that I have seen from the ACTU, and I should add, I have not been able to find a single statement from any other union that is affiliated to the ACTU about the annual wage review. Mm. The closest you get to a union or a union organisation saying something about uh, low wages is, of course, uh, the Big Steps campaign. Ah, yes. Who are very critical of the response of the government to the development of their claim, and they claim, and they were talking about it, and clearly have in, uh, made an announcement of intent to lift that campaign um, in the months ahead in, in 2019. So, I'm not pointing the bone, or not sort of raising pointing the bone. <laughs> individual, I'm, I'm, I'm actually saying this is an issue that spreads across the union movement. If you go to the Change the Rules Facebook page, which is a very vigorous page, and 
where you get, you know, terrific information about what's happening at the local level of the Change the Rules campaign. The, the, the participants in that, those activists are not asking questions about it either. No, no, no. They've, uh, yeah. Um, in fact, it's probably a person like you that keeps us uh, keeps us uh, focused on the ball. To tell you the truth, well, I think it is true that the uh, the change the rules campaign has become uh, exclusively, I'll say it, exclusively electoral. Yep, I agree. And very much focused on promoting the ALP's position, and I. Uh, you know, there's a there's a reason for that that I can understand. I don't. Uh, you can probably detect. I don't entirely agree with it. Unions are primarily industrial organisations. They must be and they must be seen to be campaigning industrially, as they did so very well around the annual wage review. Well, relatively much better than before uh, last year. Yeah, yeah, no, it's true. Now. Their claim last year was for a $50 a week increase because that would have the effect of taking the national minimum wage into the realm of being a living wage. And much and, and the living wage is... Uh, accept, uh, this is accepted by the ACT researchers last year anyway, was said to be about 60% of the median wage. Yeah, and they got something like 24 Yes. Uh, and um, it was interesting... Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was interesting because uh, um, every time it's reported in the mainstream media, I watch the um, ripples, the process. The ACTU say what they want and then the mainstream media, especially the Australian, says, we'll all be ruined. We'll all be ruined. We'll all be ruined, yes, yes. Well, uh, the... I mean, I don't even know why they employ journalists. Why don't they just keep recycling the same terms that they've mm-hmm. said every year? It's, it's exactly the same. Yes, well, we ought not to raise the question whether or not they, in, uh, whether or not they um, uh, should employ journalists because they're on the verge of trying to sack us some, a whole pile of them at the first opportunity. Yeah, Again, it's a we sad, don't want that. bad the, world. Yeah. Now, the um, I think... Um, so, I think... What might come out of this discussion is that more people will ask these questions. And I've just actually had a message come to me personally from one of your listeners saying, great points being made, or words to that effect. So uh, there are people... So there's somebody's out there listening. Yeah. (laughs) It's Solidarity Breakfast on 3CR. Yeah. And just to give you a little angle on it, and this is from an ACQ document itself, is that in... um, in 1983, the first year of the Hawke Labor government, the difference between the minimum wage and the median wage was about $25. Mm. Now it's about $90. Oh! <laughs> right? Yeah. Now, in fact, during the period of the Hawke Labor government, the uh, that relativity improved. It went up and, and became... <coughs> Uh, it went up to being a difference um, of uh, 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 the, the, the gap narrow, if I can put it that yeah, way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've got to be and careful then, with... And, uh, then, uh, and then... You've got to be, be careful with figures of yeah, this nature yeah. because I remember uh, in the 80s when um, John Howard said something about um, 
the uh, a normal wage uh, salary should be $35,000 or something like that. And these days that sounds really yeah. small, but at that time it seemed really big. Yes, yes, of course. So, but the point I'm making is that right now it's it's much, much higher and it has been trending in that direction, the gap between uh, the national minimum wage and the median wage has been increasing uh, negatively for low-paid workers. And, and explain, <laughs> I mean, I know... Increasing negatively. And the only organisation that makes a difference here is the Australian Council of Trade Unions. Wow. So really, like they, they are the little boy with the finger in the dice. Yeah. Yes, yes. And at the moment, they're out of action on this. And uh, that needs to change. Yes, it's very interesting. So uh, what you're really pointing out is that uh, if you want to have a clear thought about this and what your core business is for unions, their core business are their members' needs. Yes, and potential members. Yep, and potential members. This is the crucial thing. Our our union density is still stagnating at very low levels. Mm. And we will... uh, And just getting the Labor Party in isn't their job. um, I said it. I think getting a change of government... Is is absolutely essential. Yeah. Now, the character of that new government is also union business. Whether it's a neoliberal government, which is <laughs> I like that one, or or whether it's a genuine reforming government yeah. that is union business. That's right, exactly. And, uh, however, you don't sacrifice that. You don't sacrifice your industrial role for that. And at the present time, I'm not going to go so far as to saying that there is full-on sacrifice, because across all the unions, there are great campaigns and disputes going on. Uh, there, there are. I think there are always these headline disputes around uh, enterprise bargaining, for example. Uh, however, they distort the image. Uh, the successful ones, as there was recently, for example, for the mining division of the CFMEU, yeah, as w- an example, w- uh, Wongawuli, w- yeah, Wongawuli. Uh, which, I love that name. Which, I, which you've reported on. Yeah. Now that that is a that was a terrific victory, and the and the mining division is doing a great job to break apart the whole problem of casualised workers. Yeah. yeah. Now, uh, however, with the overall trend for enterprise bargaining, is that there are fewer agreements being struck and fewer workers being covered by them. Yeah. And that means that the real that that that, that image of these uh, these relatively few disputes, which are threshold disputes, either as victories or as major problems, uh, they distort the picture of a enterprise bargaining system that is failing the workforce as a whole. Yeah, you're not wrong about that. We have to finish because we've come to the end of our t- allotted time, I'm afraid. So all of this, can I just finish with a big plug? Yep. I've just seen it. Uh, or two, Sally McManus's new book is coming out in the next few days. What's it called? Maybe that will be saying something really good about the annual wage review. And secondly, I have just seen a terrific pamphlet from the National Tertiary Education Union for young workers uh, uh, about wage theft and how to uh, how to understand 
what their wages should be relative to what they probably are and what they can do about it. It's terrific and it's available at the nteu.org.au website um, at the library section. It's a, it's a bloody good pamphlet and I'm very annoyed because I've been trying to write one and halfway through writing one. but they Someone did a better job. I don't have to do it anymore. I can get on with something else. Okay. It's a terrific pamphlet. I recommend it sharing around. Thanks, Don. Enjoy All your day. All the best for everybody. Bye. Yeah. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Wow, there you go. <laughs> um, change the rules T-shirt day. Uh, the, another thing at 5pm on uh, Flinders Street uh, train station steps is a, a rally of concerned people around Venezuela and the coup that the uh, world seems to be intent on uh, making happen in Venezuela. Mm. It is a coup and uh, we're going to go. Yep. Yep. Hear from us next week. listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.